Well, I want to greet each of you in Jesus' name this morning, and uh, certainly if you're from uh, our church home, I'm delighted to see you make a trek out here to worship with us this Sunday morning, and if you are not, I'm equally delighted. I've met a few of you beforehand, but uh, to each of you, I want to just greet you in Jesus' name, and I'm so glad that we're together uh, to worship. Uh, I believe it's one of the highest uh, things we can do together as brothers and sisters in Christ, certainly those of us who go to church together, but uh, anywhere, all of us, uh, one of the most incredible things we'll ever experience is when we have those opportunities to worship with people who uh, believe similarly to us, uh, also put their faith in Jesus Christ, and we don't know them. It's one of the ways that we get to uh, see the incredible demonstration of the Holy Spirit and the unity that he brings as we worship together because we are worshiping the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are from our church uh, home, you know that we've been studying, Merlin alluded to this, we've been studying the book of Acts, and uh, I'm going to just go uh, continue with that since it's been a couple of years since we're in Acts, and I think it's about time to wrap this up. We are in the final chapter, and so we're going to jump in. For those of you that are uh, joining us, so that are, this is kind of new, we're going to kind of try to catch you up. We're in the middle of a fantastic story of how God is demonstrating His sovereignty that when He says that this is going to happen, that, that this certain event, in this case, that Paul, you are going to end up in Rome, in Jerusalem, and you're going to speak to Caesar that God, when he says something, he's going to make it happen. Now, that's really important for us, by the way, as believers, because there's lots of things contained in here that God says he is going to either has already made happen or is going to make happen. And if we can become convinced, like Paul was, that when God says this is going to happen, we say that means it's going to happen. That's what we plant our feet on. Now, Paul was in the middle of a boat and they were trying to make their way to Rome, and they kept hitting obstacles at every single point of the way. The wind was not in their favor uh, just uh, as the days wore on. The, the time of the year was not in their favor because now it was too late to get there. The winds, in fact, blew them way off course, and they were struggling to move through. And Paul finally said, listen, guys, we've managed to arrive on Crete. Let's just stay here for the winter. This is wrapping up the last couple chapters here to get us back to chapter 28, where we're going to be today. If you have the Bible, by the way, I'd, I'd love to have you open it up. We're going to read out of 28 here in just a bit. As they finally said, we have a few warm uh, days of, of south nice wind to get around the corner of Crete into a harbor that's suitable for the winter. We are going to just sneak up the coastline. They had just, just weighed anchor. They had just uh, set sail, and the winds changed, of course, and they became uh, out of the northeast. We had a northeaster blow up. And they were blown way out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And in fact, things were so bad that they bound the ship up. They took the little lifeboat on top. They, 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 they dropped the sails. They, in fact, threw some of the stuff overboard because it was too heavy. They threw some of the cargo overboard. And they basically gave up hope. They became a big giant bobber in the middle of a 14-day ginormous storm. And they went wherever the storm blew them. In fact, it says they gave up all hope of, be, of surviving, except that they had this guy named Paul who was standing in their midst, and he said, guys, I've been fasting, I've been praying, and God sent an angel to talk to me, and he says, we're all going to be safe. However, the ship's going to have to run aground and be destroyed. Even then they tried to, this is where we spent last, even then they tried to get some other way, right? You remember the crew members, they thought, hey, you know what? We're going to try to send the, the, the little lifeboat out and perhaps we can sneak away. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You got to get rid of that lifeboat. There's no other way except for the way God has said this is going to happen. They, they suspected they were nearing land. They tried to position themselves. And we ended last week by saying, 
They finally had daylight come, and they were aiming for a little bay there, and they ran aground on a sandbar. The front was stuck, and the rear was getting battered by the waves. And finally, the captain of the ship said, we've all got to try to make a break for it. Take whatever you can. Swim, take pieces of wood, whatever you can, and head to shore. And we ended with the last verse that says that they all, every one of them, if you track up, by the way, there were 276 people on this boat, on this ship. Every one of them made it safely onto shore. You might say, by the way, whew, now we're safe. The problem is, did they know where they're at? Did they have any idea where they're at? No. Did they know who lived there? Did they know whether they were nice or not? They had no idea. You see, haven't we had those times where we think things are getting a little tight, a little tough, and finally we say, ah, oh, a little breathing room. And then we think, oh, we're really not quite out of the woods yet, are we? I would suggest to you, now we didn't plan this together, we didn't, we didn't get together and talk about it. I would suggest to you that a lot of the songs we sang this morning are reminders to us that we're not going to be out of the woods ever until we reach heaven. In the words that uh, Merlin sang, we sang this morning, Merlin led us until we crossed the Jordan. For there remains while we are here an enemy of our souls, right? There also remains while we're here, let's not just blame it all on Satan. There also remains while we're here all the consequences of our sinful choices that bring all kinds of heartache into our lives. We will not ever be out of the woods, if I can borrow that phrase, until we're on that side with our Savior. Let's read. Acts chapter 28, I'm going to read the first 16 verses this morning, and we're going to make our, uh, make our way through that and just have, uh, see what these verses have to say. Acts chapter 28, verse 1, after we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. Now, this morning, I don't have the advantage, although I realize now that they have something here, but I don't have the advantage of, of showing you all the stuff we're going to talk about. So if you would picture the map we've been looking at a couple of weeks, the last couple of weeks, they are just south and a little west of Sicily, which is just to the south of Italy, the mainland, which if you know what Italy looks like, it's like a boot. It's the part that Italy is kicking. That's Sicily. They're just south and west of that a little bit on this island called Malta. Verse 2 says, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Remember, they're coming into winter time. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. That's a snake. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were the lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius. Publius had received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius, Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Verse 11, after three months... 
They were on Malta for three months, the winter. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puccioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we had come into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. At the end of our text today, he is at his final destination, at least for the book of Acts. Lord God, this is your word, and we are so grateful for it. Would you teach us this morning from it? We recognize that you are the only one who is able to teach us wisely, for your Holy Spirit has, in fact, inspired these words. Therefore, we ask that you would break it open to us. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look, this text divides neatly in half, so that's where we're going to go this morning. Neatly in half, the first part of the time is on Malta, and the second part of the time, of course, is on their journey and their arrival to Rome. The first part will take a little bit more, but I want to just begin by the recognition that when they arrived, they came to Malta, and they found people there. It says that they showed them unusual kindness. You don't need to know this stuff. You're not as much of a nerd as I am, but the Greek word is tunkano. Tunkano, unusual, that's what the word unusual means or is, unusual kindness, unexpected kindness. What a blessing it is when people or when someone shows unexpected kindness to us, right? When you're stranded alongside the road, when you're lost and helpless, when you're struggling with something, sometimes by the Lord's grace, even when people aren't aware or you're not even visibly showing signs that you need help, but someone comes and shows unexpected kindness to us. What an incredible blessing. Can you imagine what it felt like? 14 storm-tossed days, neither sun nor moon shining, no stars overhead, at the mercy of the raging sea, and then a swim after not eating for 14 days, a swim ashore, and it's raining, and it's cold. Think of like an autumn rain, November, and it's raining, and it's cold, and you don't know what you're going to find, and these people look at you, and they say, welcome. Now, I don't know even what, what language. They probably knew some similar languages, but they welcome them, and they start building these huge fires, and you get to get warm clothes on and sit around a fire. Imagine how that must have felt. What a relief. That is unusual kindness. Now, I think it's worth pointing out, by the way, if you've, if you've ever had someone show you unusual kindness and you understand what that felt like, it is worth pointing out that perhaps we should make it a point in our lives that we can sometimes be the ones showing unusual kindness, unexpected kindness to someone. That when we see someone in need, instead of us saying, you know what, I'm busy, you know what, I have other things to do, you know what, I don't really want to get my hands dirty. That actually sounds a little bit like a story Jesus said, right? We call it the story of the Good Samaritan. To say, I know what it feels like. I know what a relief it is to my soul when someone shows unexpected kindness to me. Perhaps I can show unexpected kindness. I would even propose to you, if you would be so bold as to ask the Lord God, if there might be a chance for you to show some unexpected kindness this next week, that he would probably, in his kindness and his effort to be good to you and to help you grow in your walk with Christ, would give you at least one of those opportunities. However, we see the character of Paul, right? I mean, he's a prisoner, so maybe they just told all the prisoners, go gather the wood. But we see the character of Paul. This man is incredible. This man is mighty. 
This is the man, by the way, do you know when else this word is used, Tuncano? This is the man a couple of chapters earlier where it says that God did unexpected miracles through Paul's hands. That as he went everywhere, he laid hands on people and he healed them. In fact, they even just had things that he touched, handkerchiefs that he touched, and they took them back and it healed people. They did unexpected things, unexpected miracles through Paul's hands. This is the man we're talking about. Most of us, by the way, when we would be in that kind of situation where God would do these incredible things to us, I doubt that we're the ones going out and gathering sticks for the fire but not Paul Paul says you know what we need more wood for the fire we have this blaze going and it feels so good to sit by it and he goes and gathers a bundle full of sticks and he brings it over to the fire and as he throws it on the fire the heat of course is coming out and there is a snake inside of those sticks right and he and the snake latches onto his arm or his hand or something and it says it's a viper which means it's very poisonous it's very dangerous and everybody looks at him and says oh Right? We know what's going to happen to this guy. Nobody survives a viper attack. In fact, look at the worldview of these people that are on the, on, the, on the island of Malta. This is a glimpse of their worldview, right? Because they look at him and they say, aha, even though he escaped from the sea, now justice is going to catch up to him. Justice, they're referring to a God, by the way. Justice will not let go and say, you might have gotten away from that angry, raging sea, but you're not going to escape. So the God justice sent a snake, and now you'll lose your life. And they were just sitting there waiting for it. Can I suggest to you this morning, by the way, contrast a worldview like that, where you think to yourself, he escaped the sea but he's not going to get away from this. This is, the, this is sort of this, and to, to borrow a Hindu term, this is a sense of immediate karma, right? Yeah, you got away from that, but you're not getting away from this. Contrast that, by the way, with the worldview that we should have. If you and I believe in a sovereign God, there is no such thing as escaping what the sea, what God intended the sea to do. Do you see the difference I'm making? The, the contrast I'm making? One worldview says, he escaped the God of the sea, but he's not going to escape this God. If he's meant to die, he was a murderer. No doubt he was a murderer. If he's meant to die, then he might have gotten away from there, but he's not getting away here. I can tell you, the worldview that the Bible teaches to have about a sovereign God says that there is no escaping when God says it's your time. It's not like you're going to slip through the grasp of God when it's your time. It's not going to work that way, Right? unless you don't think God is sovereign. I would suggest, certainly to those of us sitting here from Riverview, I would suggest we have spend, been spending the last couple of years in a book of the Bible that one of the main, one of the very main points of the whole text is to show us that God is indeed sovereign. No matter what the obstacles, no matter what comes against it, no matter who decides it's not going to happen this way, when God says that my gospel is going to go forth, then the gospel is going to go forth and the church will grow. We see this today, not so much here, but we see this today the world over when man says we are going to stop God in his tracks. We are not going to allow the Bible to be here. We are not going to allow Christianity. Then what happens? Then the church grows because God is sovereign. Because the gospel will not be stopped. Because Jesus said, the confession of faith that you make when you say, Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of the living God, that confession of faith will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And they're sitting there, right? And they're waiting. They're saying, surely 
He he looks pretty good right now, but surely, eventually, he's going to just be struck with a fever. He's just going to fall over and going to pass out, and he's going to end up dying. Surely, I I can just like see them thinking the the, the poison is just moving his way through the body. It's just a matter of time. But what does it say? It says, but when they had waited a long time and they saw no misfortune come to him, then what happened? Yeah. Can you imagine? At first they're sitting there thinking, this guy is surely a murderer. He's about to die. And when he doesn't, they go all the way to the other end of the, of the spectrum, right? This guy must be a god. Remember back in Lystra when Paul was starting his missionary journeys? He was in this town called Lystra, and he got there, and they were doing some miracles. And people were like, this, this is a god. They tried to sacrifice to him. And it was everything Paul and Barnabas could do to keep them from sacrificing these animals to him because they thought he was, they were gods, right? And they were like, guys, please don't do this. And then it says that the next day some Jews came from the next town they had just, the town they had just left, and they convinced them that they should be killed, and they took Paul out of side of town, and they stoned him to kill him. And we talked about the fact that what happened, that one day they were yelling, this guy's a god and wanting to make sacrifices to him, and the next day they wanted to kill him. Now here we have the exact opposite, right? At one moment they're on the edge of their seat thinking, all right, he got away from the sea, but this guy's about to get, the, he must have done something really bad because he's about, he, he couldn't escape. God was going to try to see. And then right after that, when that doesn't happen, they say, oh, he must be a God. It reminds me, by the way, just for our sake today, it reminds me of the importance of what Paul writes about. Let me just read a few verses to you from the book of Ephesians. It reminds me how he says that God gave these gifts and these leaders to lead the church. This is Ephesians chapter 4. It says, he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to the church. Why? To equip the saints and teachers, I'm sorry, to equip the saints for, work, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, big long mouthful by Paul, but all that to say, he gave us those gifts so that we can all become mature people, and verse 14 gives us the why, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, we speak the truth in love, we are to grow into the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." A couple weeks ago, we had a fantastic message back home on a Sunday evening by Chris on the gifts of the, of, of the body, gifts of the spirit, and how they're all supposed to be evident and working. Those are the things that keep us from having to go from this side of the spectrum to this side of the spectrum just like that. That's the framework God has given us that as we use our gifts alongside of each other, that we grow and mature and we help each other not be over there, then over here one day from the next. But that we are mature. We grow into maturity. We grow into where we're no longer tossed to and fro. Can I say this, by the way, yet? I'm going to back up just a bit if I can say this. Let's go back to the scene of Paul. And Paul is throwing a bundle of sticks on the fire. And the viper comes out of the fire, latches onto his hand. There's so many things that we read in, in, the, in Scripture that we can read historical documentation about, and we should to understand how things are working. But we also look at them when we see there's an analogy here. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a second layer of narrative here that's instructive for us. 
If we would, for example, look at that snake, at the viper, and recognize that Satan was already likened to a snake or was already given the snake, right, early in Genesis, and we see how that's representative of the fact that Satan is always there pursuing and trying to latch on to us with, with temptation, right? You will never escape temptation. I love asking people this question, that if you were able to lock yourself inside of a room and just sort of be able to block out all this other stuff, would you be able to get rid of temptation in your life? I see a few of you shaking your head no, and that would be the correct answer, because where does temptation come from? Temptation comes from those evil desires inside of us, right? And it's fought up here. I saw a couple of you point to your head. Yeah, it's fought up here in our minds. But if we would liken this viper coming out of that bundle of sticks and saying, that's like Satan who's constantly coming. That's like the temptation that's constantly coming and grabbing onto us. And everyone goes, because oh. surely when that happens, we're going to have to give in to it, right? Except when Paul demonstrates to us what it means to be in Christ. To be firmly planted in Christ. To know who our God is and to know that he is able. We talked about this last week. To know that we are convinced that he's able to keep that which he's, we've committed to him until that day. That's later on he wrote, writes those words to Timothy. Then we recognize that he can shake it off and have no ill effect. Martin Luther, one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther is this quote. Those of you who have had discipleship with me know this quote. One of my favorite quotes, he says, you cannot ever stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. And he's talking about temptation. You cannot ever stop temptation from coming. You can't stop those vipers from jumping out and latching on. But when you are in Christ and by the grace that he enables you to live life in a godly, holy, upright manner before him, that's what Titus 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11 through 14 says, then you can shake off that temptation. You can stop those birds from building nests in your hair. Clearly, by the way, the instructed part there is if a bird were to build a nest in your hair, funny as that may seem, a few of us would have a lot harder time with that, by the way. I'm including myself, so it's okay. If a bird were to build a nest in your hair, what would that mean? How do birds build nests? They bring one well-formed nest over and plop it down. How does a bird build a nest? One piece at a time. So you see, if the bird would want to build a nest in my hair, it would have to go and grab a twig and come back and sit. And then go and grab another twig and come back and sit. And then go back and grab a few more things and come back and sit. And over time, that's the key word, over time, a nest would form and he could build a nest and take up lodging in my hair, right? The point has nothing to do with birds, by the way. It's just, a, it's just a funny little picture to get us to remember. That temptation, you can't stop it from happening, right? But you can stop it from staying here, from being able to come back and spend time, and come back and spend time. Paul wrote to the Philippians, whatever is pure, noble, right, admirable, lovely, true, think of those things. Think of things that are good. He wrote to the Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't think about how to satisfy the desires of your sinful nature. So when that temptation starts coming and knocking and starts wanting to return, you can say, no, I will shake that viper off into the fire and I will not suffer any harm. Now, we got to keep on trucking here. So they find themselves on Malta. They find themselves in this neighborhood and the chief man shows them even more kindness. He lodges them. He hosts them. He shows them hospitality. And those children that were in Bible school this year, they're going to love this phrase. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, it happened or it just so happened that the father of Publius lay sick. Right? I heard a few. What, what do you do when I say it just so happened? Yeah, the kids those, those in Bible school know how to say this. Because nothing just so happens, does it? 
If I believe in God that's sovereign, if you believe in God that's sovereign, then there's nothing that just so happens. There's no coincidental thing. It's not an accident that the Publius's father lay sick at that moment. Now, we don't like those things, right? Because that means that God looked at him getting sick and said, I'm going to allow him to continue to be sick. You don't have bulletins today, which, by the way, reminds me, Caleb told me I should tell you this. Those of you from Riverview, if you want to see a bulletin for today, it's on our website online, and you can check it out. We didn't print any out for today. If you actually, if you read them, I shouldn't say that, if you actually read them. If you read them, you can go online and check it out. Now I derailed my train of thought. But as Publius lay there, his father lay there sick. Oh, this is where I was going to go with this. If you look at my message title, I keep calling it the church expanding. And if you've been wondering what Paul floating around in the water has to do with the church expanding, this is where it comes out. Because no matter what the circumstances, the church keeps expanding, right? Because God gives him this opportunity. It just so happened. Well, it didn't just so happen. God had it happen so that his father lay sick. So that while they showed him extreme or unusual kindness... Paul looks at him and he says, I will pray for your father and lay my hands on him. And God said, I will reveal myself to these people who don't know who I am. And he healed them. And not only just him, but then more and more and more people came and he healed all of them, which we see God doing all the time when he wants to demonstrate who he is. When people don't understand who God is, God reveals himself in powerful ways. And we still see that today. Paul visited him, he prayed for him, he put his hands on him, he healed him, and it made so that they gained even more favor because they brought more and more people to them. In fact, so much favor that when they set sail three months hence, that they loaded the ship for them. I want you to notice this, by the way. Just a little side trail. Sorry about this. I want you to notice this. On a ship ride that started with Paul being nothing more than a little prisoner, and every time he gave some advice, they said, you're just a prisoner. We know how to sail the ocean, right? You see him moving Suddenly his opinion counts a little more because he knew something. Suddenly what he has to say counts even more. And they cut the lifeboat away. Suddenly when he says, you know what, this is how we're going to do it. Everybody starts listening. And finally, their final leg of the journey, all of their provisions come because of a man named Paul. Right? He has moved from prisoner, and he's still a prisoner by the way, but he's moved from prisoner into recognizing that God's favor rested upon this man. And we better pay attention to who he is. But more importantly, we better pay attention to who his God is. Okay, let's keep on moving the second section here. So they get into a ship finally. There's a different ship, by the way, because their original ship is all smashed up. They get into a ship, comes from the same area, Alexandria. It's got the figureheads of the twin gods on there, Pollux and Paulus, Castor and Pollux, if I get that right. It doesn't matter anyway. That was what they thought was protecting them. We know differently because we know God was intending to get Paul there. This time the journey looks totally different, right? This time it's totally different. They hop in. Excuse me, they make their way onto Sicily, they make their way onto the, uh, on, uh, through the little channel there, onto the bottom of Italy, then they make their way up to one final port, which is called Puccioli, which most people, when they came into Rome, uh, that's actually where they landed. Rome does not sit right on the seaside, there's no port right there, so they either have one below there or above there, and they, were, they stop below there, and they have some, they go on the, on the, on the Ignat, no, no, sorry, the Appian Way, the Appian Way, and they thread their way up there. Now, something happens when they start hitting land there. You notice it says it in several different contexts. It says that they're on there and they find brothers who invited them to stay, who took them in, who showed them kindness. Let me just throw something out here to you. It says they found brothers, and we immediately assume, by the way, that it's talking about Christian brothers and sisters. That's really what that phrase means, Adelphos. Brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters. 
And that may well be true. There's not really anything definitive in the text to tell us that. However, I also, we're not in that text yet, but if you would look at the text we're going to treat next week, when Paul begins to meet with the Jews in Rome, do you know what he calls them? He calls them brothers. I find this a bit fascinating, by the way, because today we stand pretty far apart from Jewish people usually and say we don't have a lot in common. And perhaps you could make the point that Paul had a lot more in common with them than we do because he was, of course, culturally Jewish. We are not, most of us. I'm actually not sure which way the text intended. Whether these brothers are Christian brothers, which would indicate that the gospel has reached into Italy and even into Rome, which is quite possible, by the way, or whether they are Jews, and we read there that Paul was encouraged by them. I would submit to you, you could read that by saying that he was encouraged because they showed kindness to them, because everywhere else he goes, do the Jews show him a lot of kindness? No. In fact, we're going to pick up again. It's reaching the next week a bit. We're going to pick up where he immediately starts by saying, hey, have you heard anything about me? Do you know anything about me? And they're going to reply, no, we haven't heard anything. We didn't get any letter. We don't, we don't know anything about you. Tell us what, what, who you are. Maybe part of the reason Paul was encouraged by their presence was that these were Jews, because there was a huge colony of Jews living. Actually, they had just gotten booted out of Rome, but they were still living in the, in, in, in the countryside. Josephus tells us there was a big Jewish colony in Puccioli, which is where they landed. Perhaps he's encouraged because they're Jews and they welcome him. They receive him. They say, hey, stay with us. We're going we're gonna to usher you up into Rome. That's where you're headed. Equally encouraging, however, would be if God would have provided some Christian brothers and sisters to care for him. Either way, it was an encouragement to him. And I'm going to end a bit where I began. Because once again, we see such a dramatic difference being made when there was people there that welcomed Paul, that made him, that said, hey, stay with us. We're going to, and twice along the way, at Appia, the form of Appius, and along the Three Rivers Tavern, which is right along that road up into Rome, twice along the way, people come and they gather and they say, Paul, let's take care of you. Let's take care of your companions. Let's, 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 let's treat you well. Remember, he's in chains, by the way. Once again, we see how incredible it is the difference that's made when there's kindness shown. I would submit to you, by the way, that the world knows this pretty well, that kindness makes a difference in our lives. And the world would prompt people to be kind all the time. What I submit to you is the difference is that the world will tell us that we should reach inside of ourselves and be kind to each other, and that will solve the problems. If you're willing to do this, if you're bold enough to do this, would you mind looking deep down inside of yourself and seeing how much kindness you find? How much natural bent to being kind and looking out for the needs of others do you find deep down inside yourself? Now, I know most of us, by the looks of things, most of us have walked the Christian life for a number of years. So we know what, what it's supposed to look like and we probably have uh, even maybe done a very good job of, of forcing ourselves to be kind. And I don't want to paint with a big broad brush and put you somewhere you shouldn't be, but, but we know we're supposed to be kind to each other so we work pretty hard at it usually. But I would still welcome you to just take some moments to say, do I find 
deep down inside, it's really natural for me to be more looking out for other people's needs than my own. Is that the kindness that will change people's experience in this world? I would tell you this morning, my job is to tell you what the Bible teaches us, how to have a biblical worldview about things. I would tell you that that is not what comes naturally to us. The solution to changing things in our world is not to look down inside of ourselves and see if we can pull up all kinds of goodness and kindness out of us, and then surely we're all going to start getting along with each other. I would tell you that the thing that changes us into a new creation that makes us able to look out for the needs of others as much as our own, to have the mind of Christ means we have to have Christ first. You cannot have the mind of Christ without having Christ. And Philippians makes it very clear that we should have the mind of Christ, that we should look out not only for our own interests but for the interests of others. In humility, we should count them more significant than ourselves. We should be like Jesus, who was in the form of God, but he did not count that equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He took on human likeness, humbled himself all the way to the bottom, and he became obedient to God even to the point of death, death on the cross. It is for that reason that God exalted him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. You and I, my friends, cannot expect any different. We cannot expect, A, exaltation without humility, but B, we cannot expect for things to work out like we want them to if we were not willing to walk the path of Jesus, to have the mind of Christ, to humble ourselves and lower ourselves and put ourselves in the lowest place. It's like when Jesus says, when you're invited to a banquet, don't go to the head of the table and put yourself there because you think you belong there because surely someone's gonna come who is more important than you and the host will have to come to you and say, um, excuse me, I have this place reserved for someone else. Why don't you come down here and sit at the foot? He said, instead, when you're invited to the banquet, why don't you come in and sit yourself at the foot where humility would put yourself. That way, the host of the banquet can come to you and say, oh, no, 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 you don't belong down here. Let's move you up this way. That unusual kindness, that unexpected kindness, that kindness that encourages people and changes their lives and makes so that they can do one more day of following Jesus, that does not come from us. It comes from God's Holy Spirit inside of us when we were yielded to Jesus Christ. But that, my friends, is exactly what God wants to do in and through us. That is how the church expands. Well, thanks for your patience with me. Let's pray, and then we'll be finished up. God, thank you so much. We love you, and we can only say that because you first loved us. We don't, want, we, don't want to make any, we don't want to make any mistake about that and get that the wrong way around. We were not anything, we were not anything worth looking at and saying, hey, come save me because I'm so good. But you loved us. We are your creation. You created us to be in relationship with you and you loved us. Even though our sin separated us and made us turn away and made us be rebellious towards you, you loved us enough to send Jesus into our world, into darkness and in fact, not only that, you sent him into a place where he was rejected. 
He was despised by men, it says. And we have to be honest, God. Even though we can point back and say, oh, that happened 2,000 years ago, whatever. Say to, say, say to speak, 2,000 years ago back there, that was them, not us. The reality is my sin also despised Jesus. Perhaps even more so because I did it on this side of the cross, not that side. But you sent your son into this world. He was rejected. He paid the price. He paid the penalty for all of our sins, every one of us, so that we might be right with you again. What an incredible, incredible gift, God. That encouragement that we receive when Christ comes alongside of us, that encouragement you want to bring through us to those around us. Seems to be a bit of a theme you've developed with us this morning, God, and so I just want to pray to that end, that you would not only give us opportunities to show kindness, to be encouraged and encouragement to those around us today and this week, but that we would be aware of them, that the Holy Spirit would have access to our hearts and minds to be able to tap on our shoulders, so to speak, and to say, here's this opportunity to show kindness, to be an encouragement to someone, and that we would be willing to say, yes, thank you, Lord, for I know what it feels like when someone is kind to me. I don't do this in my own strength. I do it by the grace that you have brought about in my life to make me a new creation when I'm in Christ Jesus. God, we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.